Amen, amen. We are turning in our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse of scripture that we are just using as a kind of a base. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled them with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And I'm, I'm entitling this, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of God. We thank you, Lord, for working in our lives. And I pray, God, that you will help us to be Christians in our lives. Help us to be Christians, Lord, not just in a label or a confession, but, Lord, that we will be Christians in everything that we are and everything that we, Lord, do. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. I am a Christian. Amen. Why were they called Christians at Antioch? They didn't first call themselves Christians, but they were called Christians. Obviously, it was because they were like Christ. They were submitted, they proclaimed, and they supported the teaching that, ident that was identified as being Christ's teaching. They claimed to be adherents believers, followers of Christ. And eventually, I believe it says this because they embrace that proudly as a compliment. Amen. We learned in our first lesson that you can't choose to be a Christian, that you have to be born into becoming a Christian. The Bible says we are born again of the water and of the Spirit. Last week, Adam talked about that this birth will produce a departure from the flesh into the spiritual. Romans 8, 9 says, so, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then he began to teach about the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of, of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like. In other words, other stuff just like this of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This lets us know. This lets us know that just because you've had an experience of the new birth doesn't necessarily mean you have the practice of being a Christian. When he said the works of the flesh are evident, which are these he wasn't just talking about people who were not, quote-unquote, called Christians. He was describing people who called themselves Christians, but still had the works of the flesh. 
You and I know if you're in this very long that just because you have experienced the birth that places you into Christ doesn't necessarily mean that you have the practices that reflect Christ. How many people have discovered that can be true at times in your life? I know I have. Amen. Why? Because there are competing forces at work. The flesh and the spirit. The flesh is what you are born into. Amen. That's what comes out on the highway when someone drives too slow or maybe doesn't signal when they pull in your lane or maybe something as simple as tooted the horn because you didn't pull away from the light quick enough. That thing that you feel rising up That is flesh. Now, you haven't sinned necessarily unless you begin to act on that, but you all know it's present. It's laying below the surface. And they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They are contrary. These two natures, the nature of the spirit and the nature of the flesh are contrary. So how do you move? And this is what this... Lesson Next week is going to be describing the fruit of the Spirit, but we're going to dwell tonight on how do you move beyond an experience that places you in this thing called Christianity and the practice of Christianity. How do we close the gap between what we say we are and what we actually are? Is that okay? Amen. And uh, I believe that... We are supposed to emulate Christ. We're to reflect Him. We are to model in our lives what Christ is like. I don't believe that God expects us to do it perfectly. I don't believe that God expects us to have every day that is perfect. Amen. But this is the direction we're going. Amen. Some people think that we can be a Christian if we just try hard enough. If I just try hard enough, if I just repeat it over and over and over again, I am holy, I am holy, I am holy, I am holy. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that might make you feel better for a while. (laughs) Amen. But I believe that it's going to take a lot more than human effort. Self-reforming. Amen. I believe that that you do have to try very hard, and you do have to confess the word of the Lord. But I don't believe you can get there by trying in your own human strength and your own human ability. Amen. Paul didn't say try harder to be like Jesus. He said walk in the Spirit. Amen. Try harder to change yourself. No. He said, walk in the Spirit. Tonight, I want us to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. How do I walk in the Spirit? Amen. Paul mentions this in Galatians 5, 16 to 18. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and, you'll, you, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh 
lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. They're in opposition. They're against one another. They're going in opposite directions. So that you do not, uh, so that you do, not do the things that you wish. The things that you want. The things that you wish you could do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That fits in the context, but not entirely in our subject. I could have maybe trimmed that out of my notes. But anyway, the answer that he gives us as to how to close the gap, how to take an experience and turn it into a practice. He he tells us how to do that. He, He says you do it by walking in the Spirit. This is how you rise above the flesh and the works of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit lusts against the flesh. They are in opposition. They're in a battle against one another. Amen. They have different values and different desires and different priorities. Amen. And when the flesh has its way, when the flesh is in control, you do not do the things that you wish. Despite our confession... Despite our label, I am a Christian, a person who allows the flesh to be in control will struggle in his life to be a Christian. His answer is walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You'll not satisfy, you'll not gratify, you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. What will you do instead? You'll satisfy and gratify and carry out the works or desires of the Spirit. So, walking in the Spirit. When we use that term, I'm sure it conjures up a lot of ideas in the minds of people, depending on where you're coming from. What does it mean? If I were to say, Let's, we need to learn how to walk in the Spirit, what do you think of, first of all? Some people might think immediately of the supernatural. They may think of tongues, or hearing the voice of God, or the gifts of the Spirit, or being led to do this, or led to do that. And there are times when walking in the Spirit will lead us into those things. I'm not saying it's either or, it is all of the above. Amen. But Paul doesn't mean that per se, at least in this context. Paul is talking about how, if you read actually what he says before these verses that we read in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, he's actually talking about how people were treating one another. He was talking about how people were dealing with one another. Amen. And he mentions the works of the flesh. He, he expands on that and he, 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 he's trying to tell the Galatians that you're in the flesh and here's what the flesh is like. And he gives the big list. Sexual sins, anger, conniving, sedition, all of those things. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? How are we to walk in the Spirit? I believe Paul spends a quite a bit of time talking about it in another book of the Bible that is one of my favorites, and that is the book of Romans. 
In the book of Romans, chapter 7 in particular, and actually the whole book is dealing about salvation and deliverance from the law and all those things, but when we get into chapter 7, Paul begins to write about the law of Moses. And he says in Christ, or because our birth in Christ, we died to the law. I don't have time to unpack all of that. That is a tremendous concept. It's kind of like, okay, here's what the law says. You must die. Okay, so you died. You were buried in Christ and baptized into his death. All of that. You were freed from the law and therefore freed from its condemnation. But he goes on and says that the law wasn't bad. And you, you may say, well, he's off topic now. No, I'm, I'm taking us on a journey. The law wasn't bad. The law was good. Even though, even though it condemned us. In fact, in Romans 7, 7, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not know sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. He says, the problem wasn't the law. The problem was us. Amen. The problem was the flesh. The problem was the carnality. And carnality or carnal and flesh mean the same thing. Romans 7, 12. We're just going to work our way down through this a little bit. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. You can't just take all of it and throw it away. Hey man, maybe the ceremonial law and the, and the dietary laws, they had symbolic purpose that was fulfilled in Christ, but there are other aspects of it that deal with morality, and he's saying there's nothing wrong with that. Amen. And in Romans 7, 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under the law. What's he trying to do? He's, he's building this case that the law is good. The problem was himself. And the problem was all of them. The problem was their flesh. The problem was they were sold under sin. Amen. And then Paul begins to describe the conflict between the sinful nature and this holy spiritual law. There's a lot of Christianity that get this wrong because they read it as a permission to sin. But Paul doesn't teach it as a permission to sin. He teaches it as a redirection from the law to the spirit. But I want you to, I want you to notice what it says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Romans 7:15. Through 21, it says, I don't understand. I don't really understand myself, he says. Now, he's not just talking about himself. He's talking about all of them and all of us. I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Have you ever been there? You want to do this? You say, I'm never going to do that again, and the next day you did it again. And then you're going, that's terrible, I'm bad, I'm a heathen. <laughs> What's worse, someone else comes along and tells you you're a heathen. <laughs> and 
Then he says, but if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, there are some Christians that read that and they go, well, I'm not really responsible because I can't help myself. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that we are a slave to the flesh, which is why we need the spirit. And he goes on and says in verse 18, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But, I do, uh, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He is painting a picture that inside the human life, there is this force called sin. This force bringing us into captivity that we cannot conquer. Amen. No matter how hard we try, some people, given certain life circumstances, it breaks them down and makes them weaker. And so they're even a greater slave to their flesh. But all human beings are slaves to their flesh. Amen. And it's because of this sinfulness living within them. I want to say this to you, and you need to hear me. The greatest power that God has given us is not about the devil. It is about sin. As soon as you take out of the hands of the devil our propensity to give in to our flesh, he no longer has power over our lives. So while we're seeking to see people delivered, the greatest thing that we can give people is the words of the Lord. Along with praying for their deliverance and their eyes to be opened and all of those things, But it is the conquering of their flesh that brings freedom. Why? Because that is the the force. And that is the nature that is like Satan that he appeals to when he wants to take people into captivity. Okay, so I don't want to get sidetracked on that too much. But he's not talking about the Christian life. When he describes this, what I want to do I can't do and what I don't want to do, I find myself doing. He's not talking about how that you and I are stuck in that condition being a Christian. He's describing what we are stuck in if we do not have Christ, if we do not have the Spirit, if we do not have the power, another force in us working other than the force of sin. In fact, He goes a little farther in verse 22 through 25. He says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, I don't like that particular version of how that translates. In the, in the New King James, it says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? 
And then he gives the answer in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's describing is very unique. He is describing a form of punishment where they would take a criminal and they would strap to the criminal, the the dead body of an executed man. They would strap it to his body. Careful the spray zone. (laughs) COVID is alive and well here. (laughs) Amen. But they would strap the dead body to 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 the criminal's body and it would rot on his body until it soaked into his flesh and turned the healthy man, the criminal, into a dying corpse like the body that was strapped to him. That's what he's saying in the King James and the New King James when he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? What he's saying is he has strapped upon him this fleshly nature. This fleshly, carnal, sinful nature that's filled with impurity and, 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 and a nature that is so contrary to God. It's strapped onto us. How can I be delivered? And he answers that. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or he says, thank God. The, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the New Living Translation. Amen. What's he saying? He's saying there's freedom. There's liberty. Amen. It's found in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Where is the answer? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then Paul begins to tell us how this will happen. I'm talking about how we walk in the spirit. I want you to notice Paul is going to break it down in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. It says, there is therefore now. Now as in those who are in Christ, those who are filled with the Holy Ghost, those who are born again, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do what? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, they're walking in the spirit, and not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus uh, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and he's, he's saying here's the problem with the law. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, all the law could do was tell me you shall not covet. But it didn't change me from being a person that coveted. All it told me to do was not to lie, but it could not take the liar out of my heart. All it could do was tell me, amen, not to commit fornication or adultery. But it could not take out of me the sexual perversion that is resonant in the sinful nature. What the law could not do in that it was weak to the flesh. 
It couldn't change the flesh. It came up against the flesh. It pointed out what was wrong and what was sin, but it could not change the sinner in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He took that flesh and he nailed it to the cross. You say, how does that change me? Well, in the new birth, he legally puts you to death. And in the spirit, he continues to work a death against your flesh and a life in your spirit toward the Lord. Let me, let me help you understand what I'm saying if, if that didn't make sense. Paul begins to break it down more. He says in Romans 8 verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh, do what? Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. He doesn't say set the mind, but it's understood as carried forward. They set their mind. Some people... uh, I won't get into the way some people interpret that scripture. Here's what I believe the scripture is saying. I believe it's saying the reason we live according to the flesh is because we have set our minds on things of the flesh. The reason people who are Holy Ghost filled continue to do the things they don't want to do is because they continue to set their minds on the things of the flesh. But the people who live in victory, the people, amen, that get stronger and stronger as the days go by, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That word, that that concept of setting your minds, amen, setting your minds, or setting your minds on the things of the Spirit. Let me tell you, just speaking in tongues doesn't do it when you got the Holy Ghost. There are people who have received the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues, but they have never set their mind on the things of the Spirit, and they are forever struggling with their sinful nature. Setting the mind means orientation. It means focus. It means to bend yourself in a certain direction. It means to adopt a mindset. It means to prioritize and say, this is what I will make important in my life. You've set your mind. Your life hasn't caught up with what you've set your mind on yet. But you've set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's a life of of intentional living toward the Spirit. It is an act of the will. Amen. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting. I remember, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to get here again. In fact, I'm working on losing weight. You can't see it, but I see it. But I'm working, I'm working at, uh, on losing weight. And a few years ago, I lost, I lost 58 pounds. Some of you saw the video from the community, and you could see, I think it was... Uh, might have been Robert who announced that that was Robert or somebody. I don't want to blame Robert, but I think he, he let people know this was before Pastor lost weight. 
That was him. That was him. We laughed about it, and that's fine. But I can remember it took me two years to get started. I know I'm not as disciplined as most of you. But every day I got up and said, I I don't want to eat this, but I ate it anyway. Because down inside I really did want to eat it. I'm going to exercise, but then I said, I'll start tomorrow. And 600 and 720, 80, whatever days, however many days two years are, came and went where I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I got back into this after COVID. It took me weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks because my mind wasn't set. I never set my mind. Amen. I I never set my mind. I never, I, I, I wanted to go to the gym. I did start going to the gym, but it took me weeks to start going to the gym. And then when I got there, I'd work out for five minutes and quit and go back home. I thought that was a waste of gas. You see, I didn't set my mind. But when you set your mind, when you set your mind on something, then all of a sudden, your actions, though not perfect, your actions not entirely uh, exactly where you want to be. You don't have the stamina. You don't have the, the discipline fully worked out. But you set your mind and all of a sudden things begin to happen. It, it doesn't feel nearly as hard to, amen, to, to push away and to eat different and to do something different because you set your mind. This is what Paul is talking about. Those who live in the Spirit have set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And those who are living in the flesh have set their mind on the things of the flesh. Amen. They got the Holy Ghost. They love the music. They come to church. They speak in tongues. But they still like to drink. And they still want, they, they, they say, I, I don't want to give up all these friends. I don't want to change all of this in my life. I don't, want to, I don't want to make these changes. Guess what? You're destined to struggle if that's the place where you're at. Hey man, but if you set your mind, if you've, if, if you've set, in your, set your mind and said, I, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do, I don't even know all what I need to do. I may struggle to do all that I need to do, but I'm, I'm willing to do all that I need to do in order to get to where I want to go. That's where you begin to walk in the Spirit. Am I making sense? Hallelujah. It is an orientation. It is a, it is a deliberate focus. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Amen. He's talking about minding things. Minding things. To be carnally minded Amen. To be minded in a certain way. To be thinking in a certain way. To be focused in a certain way. To have priorities set in a certain way. As soon as we become spiritually minded, all of a sudden our feet start moving in a certain direction. Amen. Where do they move? They move They, they move to come into church. They move to be to, to come into church, they move to, to having a prayer life. 
They moved to opening the Bible and reading it. They moved to doing spiritual things, spiritual activities. Amen. Whatever they are, they, they begin to move in the direction of spiritual activities. Those who set their mind on the things of the Spirit... Amen. They, they begin to do spiritual things. And when they begin to do spiritual things, there is life and peace that begin to flow into them. And as life and peace begin to flow into them, they get more desire and more focus and more strength and more ability. And things begin to change in their life. I look back when I first got saved. I won't describe entirely what my first weeks were like problem is some people live for years in where I was living only for a few weeks. But in that first few weeks, I'm, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I got the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, there's, there's still a long ways between me and Jesus as far as his values and my values and his activities and my activities. Amen. But as I began, they told me, whenever the church doors are open, show up. Whenever there's an altar call, come to the altar. Amen. Open your Bible and read it every day. Try to get up and, and pray every day and, and commune with the Lord. Do something. Amen. It, it, it was hard. I remember my very first prayer meeting that I went to. I, I, I just got the Holy Ghost at home. The evangelist showed up. I had my very first home Bible study. I realized God had me on an accelerated course. I went to church on Sunday, got the Holy Ghost seven to eight days later on a Monday, and went to the pastor's house for my first Search for Truth Bible study. Amen. The evangelist showed up. And... Brother White, I don't know if you remember Brother White, his fingers were curled up like this, old Brother White. I remember my hair was still long. I said, I think I'm going to get a haircut. He said, here, here's two bucks. Go get a good one. And I'm thinking, you don't know, but I go to Le Coiffure for my haircut. And this two dollars, this won't even get me in the door. I went to service every night that week. I remember I went to prayer meeting on Saturday night, and it was my very first, my very first prayer meeting I've ever been in my life. They prayed. That's what you do at a prayer meeting. They prayed. And I prayed for five minutes. I said everything that I knew to say, and I had nothing left. And I waited. Because somebody was giving me a ride home. <laughs> and I waited. And they walked. They groaned. They prayed. They cried. They spoke in tongues. I mean, I just got the Holy Ghost that week. So I could say a couple words in tongues. <laughs> Hallelujah. I prayed. I, I pretended I was praying because I didn't have anything left to pray. I prayed everything that I knew. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about how to pray. But I was showing up. I was showing up. I was trying. I was, I was throwing myself in the atmosphere. 
Everybody else knew how to act and how to dress and how to talk and how to pray and how to worship. I just threw myself in the atmosphere. Amen. I didn't know anything. I had sin in my life. I had addiction that I just got over just a little bit earlier. Amen. I was, I, there was a lot of me that wasn't, that, that wasn't right. But I threw myself in the atmosphere. And what I, dis, what I discovered is that when I set my mind on the things of the Spirit, I begin to do the things of the Spirit. I begin to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit begins to come in me and give me life and peace. There's a transfer of the flow of God into my heart. And as a result, I'm transformed and I'm changed. And I'm molded by my exposure to the presence of God that I have set my mind in the direction of. Am I making sense? How do I walk in the Spirit? The first thing you got to do is set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. That means we prioritize the spiritual. And when we do, this is where the glory happens. Amen. The deliberate exerting of your will. You're not trying to be better. You're simply trying to be with God. You're not trying to change yourself. You are trying to get closer to the Lord. And the transformation happens by the exposure to the presence of the Lord and the Word of God and the working of God within us. But you must first set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 to 12 says, But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is not talking about the rapture. This is not talking about the resurrection. This is in the context. This is Romans 8. This is in the context of walking in the Spirit. Setting your mind on the Spirit. Allowing the Spirit to work in your life. When you do, amen, the Spirit that's working in your life and that you have created an environment for it to work in your life begins to make alive your mortal bodies. Remember, your mortal bodies is dead in sin. But when you begin to be made alive, there's, there's two things. There's two things that become automatic. Number one, you begin to become like Jesus. And as a result of that, you become less like the flesh. Less under the control of the flesh. Your soul begins to awaken and become alive. Amen. Not the rapture. That, that will happen eventually. But this is the work of the Holy Ghost. While you're waiting for the resurrection, there's a resurrection happening inside your soul where Jesus is making you alive to him and dead to your sinful nature. Amen. This is what the law could not do. This is what human efforts could not do. This is what just speaking in tongues cannot do. Although I'm a believer in speaking, speaking in tongues. I, be, I believe there's, 
can be a powerful experience, but I'm talking about the initial experience of receiving the Holy Ghost. Amen. I put down here, this is what speaking in tongues and not exerting ourselves in the direction of the Spirit cannot do. I tell people who struggle with sin, just come. Some, some people say, I, I, I don't want to come because I do this and I do that and I got this going on in my life. I say, come, come. I'm not going to be like those people. I, I, I can't be like those people. Hey, man, they, I don't have the right clothes. I don't, I don't do this. I, I, I'm, I, I don't fit in. Come. Come. Because I've discovered that if you could just get in the atmosphere and exert yourself in the direction of the Spirit, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, amen, the atmosphere of the Spirit that's beginning to work in your life will enable you and empower you to overcome the works of the flesh. Amen. I tell those people, just try to get closer. I don't know how to pray. Teach me how to pray, Pastor. Just start talking to God. Just start talking to God. Try to draw close. Amen. There's so much wrong in my life. I'm condemned in my own mind. Just start drawing closer to the Lord. Amen. Begin to make a spiritual move. Decide to want Jesus. Amen. The Bible says, the Bible says that Lot pitched his tent in the direction of Sodom. What I'm saying is that's the flesh pitching your tent in the direction of Sodom. But if you want to live and walk in the spirit, pitch your tent in the direction of the promised land. Hallelujah. And the Holy Ghost will work in you and enable you to please him and to walk with him. And the transformation will happen over time. Musicians, if you'd come. The people that stay in the church. The people that continue. You know, anybody can be a flash in the pan. Anybody can rise and be a big star and they're gone in a month or a year. But the people who stay in the church their whole life and bring their kids up in the church and and bring their kids to church. And they stay. Those people stay that got saved. Amen. The, The thing that they did is that they set their mind no matter what anyone else did. No matter what anyone else said, they weren't perfect. They didn't do it perfect every day. I don't do it perfect every day. Amen. Paul said, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I want to align myself with Paul and let you know that from the pulpit, from this preacher, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Before you compliment me, I want you to know what I was really like before Jesus found me. Keep your purses close, ladies. Whatever good is in me is because of the Holy Ghost. It's because of the Spirit. It's because of the impact of setting my mind on the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. And God worked in me and God worked in you.
Hallelujah. The people who've, who've stayed, they set priorities in their life very early on. They used to preach this stuff hard. Maybe we, maybe we need to preach it harder. Because I don't like, I don't like having 160 people on Sunday and 35 on Tuesday. Of course, we do have a bunch of young people and kids downstairs, so it's hard to say. But my point is this. The people who stayed in the church, they set a priority. I'll be at church. I'll be at church unless I'm sick or I'm away on vacation. I'll be at church. I'll be at church. I'll have a daily communion with God. I'll not allow attitudes to get in my heart. If I, if I get an attitude in my heart, I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, God, help me. This is, I know this is not right. I need to get this out of my spirit. Maybe I'm right and they're wrong, but I have a bad attitude. i got to get it out. People who have stayed have learned, amen, how to clean out those attitudes out of their heart. They come to church. They have daily communion. They have self-examination. They pay their tithes. They set their mind on the things of the Spirit. They, 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 they don't do everything perfectly, but they, they move in the direction of obedience and the direction of the Spirit, and they keep the atmosphere of the Spirit alive in their life. And when they do that, when they set that as a priority, when they're not feeling very good about themselves, they don't stay home, they drag their carcass to church. Now, how many people, how many people will be honest here enough to say that, that there are days I didn't really want to come to church and when I came, it felt like the message was for me. The message was for me. Amen. I, did, I, 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 I didn't feel like being as faithful as I was, but, but when I was somehow, amen, when I look back, I could see God blessing me as a result, working in my life. Say, how do you walk in the Spirit? That's how you walk in the Spirit, friend. And as Jesus works in you, He guides you. It's not all floating around in the supernatural. Although I love the supernatural. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love the gifts. I love it. I, I, I love to pray with someone and see them, see them have a miracle in their life. I just kind of float home. i got to be honest with you. I, I'm... I realized I didn't do a thing but say a prayer. It was all Jesus, but it just kind of felt good to be plugged into it. But what I'm preaching is not this. Because there are miracle workers and there are, are people who do a lot of things that if you saw their private life, they don't live in the Spirit. How can they do those things if they don't live in the Spirit? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have answers. I just know when God pulls the cover off and there are all these secrets going on in their life, you cannot measure walking in the Spirit by the outward. In fact, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be doing that to each other at all. We shouldn't be looking at one another and saying, well, they're not as good as this one because they can't do this and they can't do that. And, you know, that's not our place. That's not our place. God doesn't, God doesn't go around showing you everything about every person. I used to be afraid of that. 
I used to be afraid of going to a conference and this preacher, he, he can read people's mail. And I'm going to get there and all my filthy rags are going to be there and he's going to see it all and he's going to, he's going to come and, and he's going to tell me to repent and that I'm being a hypocrite and all this kind of stuff. Because my conscience was tender and sensitive. You know what God showed me and God spoke to me and God revealed to me? Is God doesn't show anything to anyone that he doesn't want them to know. And he only wants them to know it for a purpose of ministry. And not just so that they can see everybody's junk. Everybody's mess. Everybody's weaknesses. You may be able to figure it out when you watch people in your own human mind, but that's not walking in the Spirit. Although people who walk in the Spirit sometimes are used. My point is that walking in the Spirit is about having victory over your own sinful nature. And you only have victory over your own sinful nature if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And create an environment in your life where the Holy Ghost is flowing. Chase after Jesus and he will change you and transform you and cause you to grow into the person that reflects what Jesus is really like. Hallelujah. I know this from personal experience and so do many of you. I wonder if we come to a close if we could all stand in this room and say, Jesus, Jesus, all I want to do is get closer to you. All I want to do is draw near to you. I don't want anyone to be sitting in this room condemning yourself. That, that, that is not where you need to be unless you're an utter hypocrite. But I want you to realize whatever is broken, whatever is weak, whatever is wrong, whatever is not of Jesus... Jesus Christ is saying, come close to me because I'm the only one that can fix you. You can't fix yourself. I'm the only one that can change you. You can't change yourself. The only effort you need to make is the effort of getting as close to me as you can and let me work in your life and enable you and empower you to change and be the person I want you to be. Hallelujah. That's, that's how we walk in the Spirit. As we sing, if you want to step around the front of this church or stand where you are, wherever you are, but I wonder today if we could just worship him and love him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just love him. Let's let him move in our life right now. Hallelujah.